Hey, this is Max from the Arkells, and you're listening to Underground Sports Philadelphia. What is going on, everybody? Welcome into episode number 512 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. It's KB and Matt coming at you from Underground Studios. We got a whole lot to dive into tonight from the Birds, the Phils, the Sixers, and it is the return of Survivor. Season 44 premieres tonight at 8 o'clock, and I think uh, Jeff Probst was taking a, a listen to us matt because he's starting a podcast that will be a uh, companion show of like behind the scenes things that goes live after every episode this season so shout out to jeff um but we're gonna we're gonna dive into everything but before we get started make sure you guys are following us on the socials at underground phi right now for the people watching live or live on twitter twitch and facebook so go tap in uh Follow us at Underground PHI on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Castarina. Follow me at KBIZZL311. Subscribe to the podcast feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're there. Leave a five-star rating and review. It does go a long way for helping the show continue to grow. And we're, uh, you know, we got big things on deck for 2023. So you'll want to come along for the ride. And, uh... Of course, subscribe to the Underground Sports Philadelphia YouTube channel. That's where you get full video episodes, clips, every podcast on our network in full video form, uh, all on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at Underground Sports Philadelphia. We are currently at 389 subscribers. Let's get 11 more going into the month of March. Let's get to 400 and beyond this month here. But go subscribe, smash that like button, ring the bell icon, and comment down below your thoughts on everything we discuss on tonight's show. And big thank you to our sponsors who make this show happen. Main Auto LLC, Security 21 Security Systems, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, and the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland. What's going on, man? Living the dream. The, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are uh, finally putting back together their coaching staff before we dive into this it's brought to you by our amazing merch partners over at phi apparel company uh guys there's no doubt in our minds that when you are rocking your merch from phi apparel company whether it's their own original unique designs your underground sports philadelphia official merch you're going to stand out in the crowd when you go out to your favorite sporting events when you go out to the bar wherever it may be uh you're going to be the most talked about shirt hoodie in the entire building uh you guys can go to phiapparel.co use code underground so they know you're coming from us you get 10 percent off any and all merch orders get your underground sports philadelphia merch it's the most comfortable hoodie i own hands down um and make sure when you get your merch you tag us tweet at us let us see where you're wearing your merch uh and it is the most effective and direct way to support everything we're doing so go get your merch phiapparel.co Use code UNDERGROUND for 10% off any and all orders. 
Uh, Matt, the Eagles got their coaching search for an offensive and defensive coordinator situated relatively quick, uh, and they took advice from us for the offensive coordinator position, as it will be Brian Johnson sliding into that role. Uh, was the quarterback's coach last season, has worked with Jalen Hurts since he was in high school, and uh, I felt like that was kind of the no-brainer option there. And then uh, just yesterday, Sean Desai coming over from the Seattle Seahawks uh, and was the defense. He was working with the defense for the uh, Chicago Bears in 2021 when they had an all-world defense. And uh, there was a, a tweet of a, a quote out there, you know, pretty much saying they're going to have the players in place to make adjustments during the game. And man, is that a breath of fresh air? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's, it's both of them, I think, are. Interesting appointments. One is a little more rote, and I, I think that's what we expected. Uh, Desai is someone that I, I really have zero familiarity with, um, which is interesting. I know he's on the younger side, which is obviously a little bit exciting. Um, you know, Seattle, I, I think at times this year, we're able to play good defense. And, you know, if he has uh, something to do with that, then it's interesting to see how that translates to the Eagles. But, yeah, you know, it's uh, – I don't know. You know, I, I hadn't really been familiar with Nick Sirianni before he was, uh, you know, appointed to, to head coach and guys like Gannon and Steichen. I, I don't think we're really on, on the tips of many people's uh, tongues. So it's not always necessarily about the big names that are out there. Sometimes it, it is these kind of developmental guys that you don't see behind the scenes uh, that can actually bring you a lot of value. Yeah. And uh, why is it easy to uh, kind of figure out that Desire was going to be potentially the guy? Uh, well, he's a disciple of Vic Fangio, um, who was obviously working with the Eagles uh, offense during Super Bowl week. Um, and he got his first job in Philadelphia under Jim Mora with the USFL Stars in 1984. Uh, that's Fangio. And then before becoming the Broncos head coach in 2019, Fangio was obviously the Bears defensive coordinator from 2015 through 2018 when they had Khalil Mack and that star-studded defense. And Desai was... Uh, quality control assistant with the Bears during that period. Um, so, I mean, he's he's learned from one of the better defensive coordinators when they're solely focused on defense. And um, one thing, uh, this is a quote here from Sirianni, he said, one thing that we definitely have now is what we had our first year going into it. We have a little bit of unknown. Now whoever we play our first game can go and watch some of Sean's stuff from Chicago or even some of the things from Seattle. But one thing that we have is some uncertainty again going into that first game where you hide some things in preseason football. Um, and like I said, that quote, like when he was working with the Bears in 2021, the Bears were ranked in the top 10 in damn near every category defensively. So to bring in a guy of, of that caliber, Pete Carroll was very complimentary of him uh, in his press conference at the Combine and kind of broke the news that he was in fact coming to the Eagles. So I think bringing in that new blood and kind of just a new voice for this defense that is just star-studded with talent, kind of like those Chicago Bears defenses were from 15 to 18. I think it's almost nothing but a positive. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, when you have to make this decision kind of later as, as opposed to everyone else because of the circumstances of your season, it seems like a fine bet. We'll see how it pays off, but you know, there's not a, a huge track record to go off of. Uh, these guys that are in, like, lower assistant positions, it's always challenging to tell just – what they do, right? Like we're not behind the scenes. We're not in the rooms with these guys where they're doing all their planning and, and talking to the players. So 
maybe harder for us to get a read, maybe even like Seahawks or Bears fans, harder to get a read on, on his value. But you got to trust that this team uh, is making the right hire because they, they got quite a few right in the last few years. He's 39 years old. Uh, he also went to Temple uh, from 2006 to 2008. So we saw what happened the last time we brought a Temple alum home, and that's Hassan Reddick. Um, so good, you know, there's a connection there as well. He was the associate head coach and defensive assistant for the Seattle Seahawks in 2022, and he was the Bears defensive coordinator overall in 2021. Um, and in 2019 and 2020, he was their safeties coach. So hopefully that's a, a positive sign in, in bringing C.J. Gardner-Johnson back, who's been posting just all over social media fun stuff. Uh, there was a great clip where uh, he posted on his TikTok of, you know, getting to do what I love on Sundays, and it was him making big plays, and then uh, he it transpired to a clip of Hezbollah with his phone out with the, a banner that said Eagles fans, and then Hezbollah just, like, smiles at the camera while recording everything. Um, and then quote tweeted an Elliot Shore Parks tweet uh, when he was talking to Jonathan Gannon at the uh, Combine, I think today or yesterday, uh, ESP asked him what went wrong during the second half of the Super Bowl, and CJ uh, has since deleted the tweet, but said, you didn't put us in a position to make plays. Um, kind of telling how much these players were, like, not truly on board with Gannon. Uh, and then just the, I don't know if you saw, I'm sure you did, because it went mega viral, the the clip of him, of Gannon, like, meeting every single member of the Arizona Cardinals uh, roster. Just very, like, strange optics for the social team to post that, but... It seems like some players were not too fond of Gannon and were pretty stoked that he was gone. Yeah, I would uh, not appreciate if I had to have those first awkward interactions with, like, new coworkers because we've all had that. Like, someone new gets hired, and you got to, like, walk up and introduce yourself. And, like, it, I would really hate to have that recorded and then broadcast it to, like, millions of people. So uh, just I do archive forever. <laughs> yeah, I, I do empathize in that way because uh, I, I just think that sucks. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, honestly, too, like, Who's interested in that? Who's like, yeah. oh, yes. Like, I, I wanted to see this this moment, this totally true and raw moment of, of him meeting Kyler Murray. Like, who cares? Like, I, I could not care less about that content. No offense to the content creator. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy job. But it's a no for me. Yeah, it's a weird one. And even so, it's like, I think Gannon has, like, one connection to a player there, and it's Zach Ertz. Um, so, like, if you want to show that, fine. But, like, showing every – it was, like, a two-minute-long clip of just, like, him meeting every player. Some of the guys, he, like, didn't even know, like, who they truly were. So it was very awkward. Um, but the Eagles have their coordinators, and I think that's a, a huge positive sign as we get set for, you know, free agency right around the corner. To have those in place, I think, is just a, a big weight off of Howie Roseman and Nick Sirianni's shoulders to know who's going to be in the building coaching the players that they're looking after. Um, and how he had a quote at the combine, somebody asked him, um, why the Eagles didn't extend guys during the season this year, which has kind of become a regular thing for the Eagles, um, to go out and sign guys that are ready to hit the free agent market that they don't want to let them hit that, you know, area and just get them locked up during the season. Typically happens during the bye week. A lot of people thought, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson, James Bradbury, guys like that. We're going to get those extensions during the season. Uh, but Howie Roseman said, I think just obviously we took a little bit of a different tactic this year. Usually we like to sign guys early and sign guys during the season. 
And because of how hot we started, how well we did, and how many free agents we had, we thought it would create a different dynamic if we started to pick one guy and not another guy. We understood that could cost us in the end, but we felt like it was a, it was a worthwhile decision because of the opportunity to potentially win a championship. And unfortunately, we came up short. Um, because, you know, just before and during 2021, the Eagles uh, reached contract extensions for four of their 2018 draft class members, Dallas Goddard, Avante Maddox, Jordan Mailata. Um, and that's normally not, you know, that's normally their way of going about things. We've seen it, you know, I think over the past couple of seasons that that's happened. Um, and, you know, when you have guys like CJ Gardner-Johnson uh, that you traded for who was kind of playing on a one-year deal, and then you have guys who are, you know, like a Brandon Graham, you usually see that those kind of guys get extended in some of their cap space turned into signing bonus to alleviate the cap. TJ Edwards is another guy who could potentially be gone uh, this offseason now that, you know, he's going to hit the free agent market. But pretty interesting outlook on that and a, a different take from Howie Roseman from what we've seen from him in the past since he's kind of regained the reins of uh, the general manager position. Yeah, I mean, he talks a lot about it being a gamble, too, and I think this team did kind of push a lot of chips in this year. Uh, you know, at, at least, you know, we saw them get really aggressive, uh, you know, in, in, right before the season, right, and go to some acquiring some guys and even saw a little bit of that uh, midseason, of course, with some trades. So I think, yeah, it, that definitely tracks with sort of uh, what we saw from this team. That doesn't feel necessarily just like smoke being blown. It felt like they were willing to kind of risk it a little bit. And, I mean, yeah you're maybe two, three minutes away from that, that bet paying off. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be uh, interesting to see how they navigate because even with, you know, Howie being someone known for navigating and circumnavigating the cap, Eagles don't have a lot of wiggle room this offseason. You obviously have a, a Jalen Hurts extension to be thinking about as well. You know, and that's, that's more long-term, big-picture stuff. But I am curious to see what they do. You know, I, I think the draft is going to be really interesting for them, of course, because – you know, you have this this possibility at ten to get a, a player, you know, for the future, right, and, and and something like that. Or again, you know, we we saw this team last year use that draft capital to go out and get on an established player like AJ Brown. You know, it's it's certainly within the possibility for the Eagles to do a lot of different things with that pick. Um, I think they have a lot of avenues, so I, I'm curious to see that, and, and again, just how they manage this uh, this cap that they have. Yeah, and I mean, as the the true blue sickos that we are. Having gone through the process, I think the city of Philadelphia is the most avid user of uh, Tankathon.com. Not a, not a sponsor, but shout out to them. Right now, they have uh, the Eagles taking Devin Witherspoon from Illinois with that number 10 pick at defensive back, um, which I feel like has sort of become the, the go-to pick at number 10 if the Eagles do end up making that pick, simply because it seems like a foregone conclusion that James Bradbury is going to be gone, so you're going to have to replace that with you know, young talent there. I think there's going to be just a lot of interesting things, especially the information that came out about Jalen Carter today. Um, that could shake up, you know, the top end of the draft. What does that do um, with some of these teams who are still looking to get a quarterback? You know, where do the quarterbacks fall in this top 10? And then what players does that kind of leave for the Eagles? Do, does somebody, you know, massive fall to them at 10 that, it's like, wow, they're in our lap, similar to, you know, Tyrese Maxey falling to the Sixers at 20. Um, does somebody fall that far simply because of, you know, early round draft shakeup? Does somebody trade up to number one to, you know, push the Bears somewhere else? 
Um, I think being at 10 is such an interesting position for the Eagles right now, simply because there are a lot of teams in the top 10 where you look at, you know, the Texans, you look at the Colts, you look at even Seattle, Detroit, the the Raiders, the Falcons, and the Panthers, really. They all kind of need quarterbacks. Yeah, uh, there, there's a ton of teams, even something like Tennessee, potentially, right? Uh, could, could package to move up. Uh, the Jets, you know, like could uh, could get what? Like, there's a lot of teams in that range, and I think that's what's interesting about the draft is, you know, I think the, the underrated part of it is that you have to be able to read the board from other people's perspectives and what do they want and what do they need and, you know, what position does that put you in? I'd be surprised if Chicago is picking at number one. Um, I, I think the Panthers are the sneaky team to maybe maybe make that decision just because, you know, I think you commit to Frank Reich and you commit to having a young quarterback that can grow and, and develop. You know, that, that could be something very, very interesting. But, yeah, I, I think – you know, you always have one or two guys, I think, that, uh, you know, and, and the Eagles benefited from this last year, too, right, with Davis. Um, you know, you always have the, a few guys that sort of slip below, you know, where you expect them to go that maybe are best in their position, but just because there's some other, like, high-value, high-need guys that, that maybe go in, in the five or six range that fall, uh, you know, maybe to the Eagles at 10. So that's going to be the interesting part of this is, uh, you know, some of it is out of your control, but you know, maybe you get a little lucky. Yeah, and I mean, you look at the teams in the top 10, too. Four of those teams have brand-new head coaches, and then you throw the Bears in there. Their coach was kind of, you know, just come in and, and figure it out, and then next year will be the year that we kind of start to evaluate you, I think is the approach that the Bears took once their season started unfolding the way that it was. So, I mean, effectively, you have five relatively new head coaches in this top 10, and then you have Nick Sirianni, you have Arthur Smith with the Falcons, uh, McDaniels and the Raiders, and then you have uh, Dan Campbell and the Lions, and then Pete Carroll with the Seahawks. So a lot of, you know, coaches trying to, you know, make their mark with these picks too that are going to be pretty important because those players who those those four teams with brand-new head coaches, those players are going to be tied to those coaches almost and be like, oh, that's their first pick as a head coach of this team. Let's see how they pan out. Yeah, especially when you consider, too, you got – three four quarterbacks that are of big note um you know at, at this uh at this draft right like you've got you know Bryce Young, CJ Shroud, Will Will Levis and Anthony Richardson you know you could put those guys in any order and I think and you know you might hell the Eagles could get Anthony Richardson you know even late late in the first um you know because he, he has like the raw talent to be something really really special right and, and if you're thinking very progressively maybe you get absolutely insane who knows but i uh i am really looking forward to it you know we're obviously draft is is still like a month and a half away the combine is, is this week so you know it's it's always an exciting time just to see these guys start to, to put some tape together and get like the physical stuff all, all those notes um but yeah I, I think the eagles are in a, a great position and i think too like you like we've been talking about with this top 10 there's quite a few teams that i think are, are looking to like really establish themselves here Obviously, like, you know, uh, especially like three teams in the top 10, I think Seattle, Detroit and Philly all have picks, you know, from trades that have, have kind of put themselves in a great position. Seattle is a playoff team. Uh, Detroit was a, a bubble team, right? Nearly, uh, nearly making the playoffs. And the Eagles obviously went to the Super Bowl. So you have teams that that had a really strong year last year, maybe even unexpectedly so, um, and now have an opportunity to really add to what is like a, you know, a young core and then and, and try and like really develop and and get a, a guy that 
you know, not many teams in those positions, not many teams that make the playoffs are picking fifth, you know, in the draft. That is just a, an uncommon occurrence. Yeah. And I mean, you look at the lions, if they, if everything goes their way in this draft, they could end up winning that division, depending on what goes down with, you know, the likes of Aaron Rodgers. you know, we all expect the Vikings to kind of level out a little bit from what they were this year. They're not going to go 11 to zero in the regular season of one score games. Again, I think if you, uh, had a chance to take that bet, you'd bet against that. And then the Bears still kind of, you know, trying to put some pieces together around Justin Fields and, and figure out their situation. But if all goes right for the Lions, they have more than an enough shot to uh, go out and win that NFC North. But, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to kind of try. I think free agency starts next week, if I'm not mistaken. So there, there's going to be a lot of movement. There's going to be a lot of rumors. There's going to be a ton of uh, – things to pay attention to and who would have thought you know last year Hassan Reddick coming to the Eagles was going to be a thing and that turned out to be one of the better free agent signings for the Eagles over the last you know five years so we'll see what happens with free agency as we go from uh the combine to uh spring training Matt and Andrew Painter made his Phillies debut today it's brought to you by our amazing partners over at Kenwood Beer it's the official beer of Underground Sports Philadelphia. They're going to be part of our live tailgate podcast series, all baseball season long. Uh, and you guys can go to KenwoodBeer.com and use the all-new and improved Kenny tracker to see who's got Kenwood Beer on tap in the Philadelphia area. you got to be 21 or older to do so. Please drink responsibly. And you can also uh, find Kenwood at your local liquor store if you're in the Philadelphia area or home goods in the eastern Pennsylvania area. So go check that out. And, of course, KenwoodBeer.com. Use that Kenny tracker to see who's got it on tap, ready to go. Andrew Painter hitting 97, 98 miles an hour on the radar gun down in Clearwater, Matt. And we're, our, the little sugar plum fairies of, of Philly's fandom are dancing in our heads. Yeah, I think, um, you know, it was a great performance today. This was his first time, too, against, uh, like, more major league talent. And so seeing how he performed there was uh, exciting. You know, some, some really some really nice highlights. You know, a few, like, shaky moments, too, from, from what I saw um, of, like, some of the compilations on Twitter and, and all those. But I think he looks good. I think he's so far delivered on a lot of the expectation and the hype. It's very easy to forget that this guy, too, is a teenager <laughs> and, you know, um, these are like really his first moments in this kind of spotlight. So I, you know, I, I, I think it's totally reasonable that this guy's that could be on the opening day roster. I like, I, I think I don't, I, I think you would be seeing him pitching for the Phillies in April. Like, I, I really think that's, that's on the cards. Then that's not just a reaction off of today, like one inning of pitching. Right. But I think we've heard so much about him. It is, it is not common to hear, Phillies like prospects be talked about in this way like it's just it's just not coming even someone like Bone who's come on and really established himself I don't think had like this kind of hype like I think mm-hmm. he was like a well-known like prospect right like people were aware of him but even then you know I, I just feel like we never got uh, kind of the, the, the updates that we were getting um, and I think too like Painter fills such a big need potentially that that might be why the emphasis is on it a little bit more and you know Phillies prospects outside of, of pitching are not particularly strong so I, I, I'm I, I'm really excited by him. I, I think there's there's a total possibility that this year he's, he's p- pitching for the Phillies. I would I wouldn't be shocked again if he's making the opening day roster potentially because you know we've we've talked about the fifth spot is not necessarily locked down by anyone. Um, and I think you know you could see maybe an extended to it, like a six man rotation like we've talked about and how important that could be because 
not just with Nola and Wheeler and, and all the innings that they've had, but you know, you're going to lose Ranger to the, the world baseball classic. Right. And, uh, and Taiwan Walker and Taiwan Walker. Like you're, you know, you don't know what kind of, it's different for pitchers than it is for like positional players, like that kind of volume and that kind of uh, workload. You want to manage that a little bit. So yeah, I think it's totally possible when you factor that. Maybe, you know, in a different year where all those guys are there, maybe we see him in triple or double A, um, you know, for, for two or three months and then he's working his way up. You know, we see him in like June or July, but I think uh, I, I, I'm starting to think that this guy is there on opening day with us. Yeah. I mean, if he's on this roster opening day, it, it just goes to, and just such an added emphasis on the way that the Phillies scouting department has improved since Dave Dombrowski came in the way that just the, the development staff down in the minors has improved over the last three years. And to, to think that we could have finally like our own crown jewel, you know, young starting pitcher in this rotation who has like this big burly frame and, He's, he's out there, like you said, he's pitching against Major League Talent. Like Carlos Correa and Max Kepler were in the lineup for the Twins today. He had Correa at an 0-2 count and then gets a, a dribbler of a, a infield hit to unfortunately spoil that at-bat. But he got Correa in the first inning with a pair of 99-mile-an-hour fastballs to go up 0-2 on a guy who, you know, yes, he cheated, but like that's a guy who's got pure hitting talent and for a 19 year old to be blown 99 miles an hour right by him is quite impressive um and then he's throwing 91 mile an hour cutters on two two pitches like it's just impressive what his repertoire is and this is also being caught by garrett stubbs who is not a bad catcher by any means but also imagine what it would be like andrew painter being caught by jt real muto like the the possibilities for his ultimate success and, and just him being the the high caliber prospect that he is right now and turning into this crown jewel of a of a pitcher is almost endless. Yeah, I, I think the physical capability too is what's impressive about him at his young age. Uh, it's just not often you see guys that young that are able to hang and and get the velocity that he does. It looks so composed out there. Like I think that's a uh, that's what's impressive to me, and uh, I think what I'm, I'm looking forward to the most about seeing him, you know, through the rest of spring training and start to dream a little bit about opening day. Because I mean, we're only 29 days away from uh, from opening day, which is you know we're within a month now, and that's surprising to me. And uh, you know, this is where you know March it starts to drag a little bit once you get to like you know post like March Madness hype. You know, there's that little bit of week, you know, where it's like ah, like <laughs> you know, can we just wrap up uh, wrap up spring training, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I, I am looking forward to, though, you know, just kind of starting to really get excited because it, it starts to feel very real now once you start seeing the spring training games and you kind of just want guys to be to be out there and you want to be back at Citizen Bank. Yeah, I mean, Painter's uh, fastball ranged from 96 to 99. His cutter was in the low 90s, and then his slider was in the low to mid-80s. Like, talk about range. And he said that the, uh, the cutter is a pitch that he picked up this past offseason – just to get something that's harder. Um, he said the slider's kind of sweepy, so just looking for something else that looks like a fastball. So the fact that he's developing pitches and already throwing them in the low 90s, that's just that's exactly what you want from your young, you know, crown gem piece of a, a starting pitching prospect. 
He went two innings, gave up three hits, gave up one run, one strikeout on 29 pitches, threw 18 of those for strikes. Um, and everybody uh, after the game is just like, yeah, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface with him. Like, we haven't seen anything yet from him. Um, and I think it was – yeah, Derek Hall said what's cool about him um, is that at 19, if you put me on a mound in a big league camp, you would – you'd be able to see my anxiety. He gets up there and just does this thing. Uh, I told Correa at first base, do you know what I was doing at 19 running morning runs at junior college, trying to make a college team that dude is on the cusp of being in the big leagues. It's really impressive. Yeah. I, I, again, yeah. Doing it at 19. You know, we just don't see that uh, with the Phillies, especially, you know, yeah. maybe there's, there's a few guys that have made debuts, you know, at a younger age. Um, I would say with pitching, it, it definitely feels, uh, you know, at least like off the top of my head, like just not unprecedented, but uncommon. It, it is uncommon to see someone um, at such a young age, uh, at least have the potential to be like a, you know, a potential starter for, for a major league team. There's still a lot of ways to go, but you know, I, I really can't think of that many like teenage pitching, you know, I, you know, we've seen again, like some of the positional guys, right. Cause you just know with Bryce Harper, you know, right. Like, yeah. but I, I, Honestly, like, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, if you guys hit that 22, 23 mark, you know, that I think that's that's even for, like, a very impressive-looking guys. You, you see them there, but um, uh, I, I just can't think of uh, too many. Let's see if I can pull up. Uh... So I think the last one was Julio Urias for the Dodgers. Right. Who debuted at 19... He was the third teenage pitcher, uh, and this he debuted in 2016. Um, he was the third teenage pitcher in the past 20 years to uh, make a debut. Joining, so it was Felix Hernandez in 2005, and then Dylan Bundy in 2012, who also debuted at the age of 19. And then prior to uh, Felix Hernandez, the last 19-year-old to pitch in the majors was Todd Van Poppel. Uh, of the 1991 Oakland Athletics, uh, while Jose Rijo of the 1984 New York Yankees was the last player to debut at 18. So it's been very it's, rare. So I got I got from MLB.com. This is the like best uh, teenage like breakout guys. Um, Gary Nolan in the 60s for the Reds. Uh, this is pitching. Dwight Gooden for the Mets in '84. He was 19. Um, he had a 5.5 war, <laughs> which is just, holy shit. Especially back uh, then, that's crazy. Yeah, uh, Chief Bender of the Athletics in 1903. Yeah, we got some great, we got some great old time. Wally Bunker of the Orioles in 1964 at 19. Um, Smokey Joe Wood of the Red Sox in 1909 at, at age 19. That just sounds like an ingredient in whiskey. <laughs> Smokey Joe Wood, and then you have Felix Hernandez. Um, you know, there, there's a few. I don't know. You ever hear this Ty Cobb guy? Apparently, debuted at nineteen. Might have been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, quite a few. Uh, a lot of the positional players, like Mickey Mantle, <laughs> the debuted at, at nineteen. I didn't realize that to be honest. Uh, Manny Machado. Um, just thinking of names that that Buddy Lewis, Ty Cobb, of course, Juan Soto. So you know, we, we've had a few this decade. Um, that, that have 
made that debut. But yeah, it's it's definitely not as common for for pitching at least in recent times. You know, so it's on the table for him. Yeah, and speaking of uh, our fun baseball name tradition, I got one today to uh, roll across the timeline, and this is 2023. Uh, shout out to uh, <laughs> at James Cigarettes on Twitter. Um, one of those updates that you get from the MLB app. Grounded into a double play, two outs. Willie Joe Gary Jr. I love it. It's like which... they couldn't decide. It's like they couldn't decide what they wanted him to be. Really, I really like Willie, but Joe like meant a lot to me. Like he knew a Joe, and then like the the mom's like dad was named Gary. You know, like it's like, they just like, just put it all together. <laughs> to which the tweet reads: I don't believe that someone names their son Willie Joe Gary and then do it again. <laughs> yeah, I. Um, that's bizarre. Willie Joe Gary. Willie Joe Gary Jr. He's got four first names. Yeah, honestly. That's, uh, I gotta tell you, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot because I'm in a stage of my life where I start to think about those things. Um, I, is it Willie Joe is his first name and then it's Gary Jr.? Or like, because I need, spaces. To know, I need to know how this works for like, you know, when you're filling out like any kind of like paperwork and you only have limited space for your names. Or when you take like an important exam or something, or when you're filling out like to get a passport, you only have like eleven to thirteen boxes to put your your letters into. If you if you're beyond that, I mean, it's a hassle. It's, it's a real pain. So, yeah, I I think you want to try and not subject your child to having like <laughs> to have it, to deal around that to be like the weird kid at the SATs that has to like rec- has to ask what to do with the with the last name that is too many too many to fit in the bubbles, you know. Willie Joe Gary Jr. Born in the year two thousand. Christ, <laughs> that if that just doesn't make you sick. That's the the strange part now with athletes is their their post nineteen nineties birth dates are going to have, be absolutely crushing. Um, but yeah, I mean the the way the Phillies are playing in spring training right now too is very very promising. Like. You see Zach Wheeler the other day hitting 97 on the radar gun. The the bats are in full swing mode right now. Like, the Phillies look good. And I know it's spring training, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. But coming off uh, a World Series run and uh, a shortened offseason, if you're a Phillies fan, you have to be at least somewhat excited about the production that you're seeing in spring training from some of the key guys. Yeah, I think a, a lot of that is the shine from – kind of the last moment you have with this team was, you know, obviously disappointing, but I think, you know, there's still a lot of like such goodwill left over from that playoff run. People are still really uh, attached to this team in that kind of way. And there's a lot of excitement. There has been a ton of excitement in seasons past for the Phillies. You know, Um, I don't feel like that's necessarily new. Like the team has certainly like kept you engaged, you know, in spring training the last three or four years, because there's always been, you know, a new free agent to, to kind of ogle over, um, even like a young guy like that, that you're hoping, you know, makes the team, you know, I brought about Boom earlier. Like I know he was, he was a big one for us um, in years past. He um, went Mickey Moniak last year, like we were kind of like watching it and hoping. So Bryce yeah. Bryce inside. Yeah, like there's always been someone to keep you engaged with. Um, and, and this year feels no different. And yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm really excited to see them in the regular season, how this team looks. Yeah. And I mean, I think the only uh, negative right now is 
and I find it so funny because it's the same people who during the the season last year were complaining, uh, you know, vocally wanting this player to get traded. And now they're like, oh my God, where is he? Why isn't he playing? Oh my gosh, they're going to let him leave in free agency. Reese Hoskins got uh, a knee operation in December to, to clean up his meniscus. So that's why he hadn't played uh, to start off spring training. Uh, a report from Matt Gelb came out and said that the Phillies and, and Reese Hoskins camp haven't uh, started discussions about a contract extension yet. I don't know why that's not surprising. Like the, the first base market going into next off season is pretty bleak. So like Reese, whether it's with the Phillies or another team is going to get paid um, simply because he will be the best first baseman on the market if he hits the market. But I'm also of the note that like the Phillies don't have really a true in-house replacement for Reese Hoskins. The people who say, oh, just move Castellanos or Schwarber to first base, that's – you think Reese's defense at first base is bad? Wait till you see one of those guys at first base. Go watch Kyle Schwarber playing first base for the Red Sox and then report back. Um, I think Reese Hoskins is going to get re-signed. It may not be to a massive contract, and I feel like he's a guy that wants to be in Philadelphia. Like, he's made this his home in a, in a lot of aspects. I feel like the Phillies and Reese will, will come to some sort of agreement throughout the season. Yeah, I would be surprised to to, to not see him back. I, I, I felt that way pretty much all all through the offseason, all, all last year as well, that he's, he's probably back with the team. And, you know, he's a Scott Boris guy. Bryce and Reese are extremely close. I'm sure there's going to be some inner workings there to where Reese Hoskins gets paid and will be with the Phillies for the foreseeable future because like like they don't have a, a first baseman to come up and everybody talks about Derek Hall too like Derek Hall's a, a very solid player he's not an everyday first baseman he, he's he's very similar in a lot of aspects to Reese Hoskins I I think you would much rather have Reese out there you know at first base the Phillies I saw Johnny Heller tweeted I think the Phillies uh since 2020 are 51 and 14 in games Reese Hoskins hits a home run so, like, Reese's power speaks for itself. You know when he goes on a hot streak, this team is is riding high. Um, and he's, like, a core leader of this team. Like, he's one of the guys that's out in front of the camera, always getting interviewed. He's a he's a vocal leader. So, I would be shocked if Reese Hoskins is, is not part of this team uh, following 2023. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it makes a lot of sense. And, yes, you know, he, he had some definitely some – high-profile uh, mistakes in the playoffs last year. Um, but I, I think people people really oversell how easy it is or, or whatever. And whatever the pro- – oversell, undersell. I think people really expect that it's very easy to just, like, find guys in, in these positions all the time and, and that it's just – like, I, I just don't know where you're getting the, the value that people believe in. Like, are there better first basemen out there than Reese Hoskins at fielding? Sure. Like, you know, but I, I also, I, I just don't know that you're realistically going to replace him. You know, I, I just don't know that, that makes sense. I don't know that the value of replacement is really that, that steep. Yeah. And I think with the shift coming in, like the shift being banned, I think it's only going to help Reese Hoskins become that much better of a player as well. Like there's gonna be fewer opportunities for some of these power hitters that the Phillies have to, to hit into the shift. 
I think it's going to help with Reese's, you know, defensive uh, play quite a bit. So, I again, I would be stunned if uh, Reese is not in a Phillies uniform for the foreseeable future. But Matt, the Union are uh, off to a one and zero start. Another match uh, upcoming this weekend, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, we talked about it leading into the season. The offense being together for a full year is going to pay dividends. Carranza off to a hot start. And uh, Union looking to uh, just continue rolling along the way that they do and and kind of be that gold standard team in Philadelphia. Yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't their, their best performance in terms of the actual, like, play. Um, good scoreline, though, you know, <laughs> for one always feels nice. Some dubious penalties uh, that they received. You know, the, the handballs, I think, were, were pretty marginal at best. But, you know, sometimes that's like a little bit of a spinning wheel. And, and sometimes you're lucky, sometimes you're not. I think the crew probably feel a little unlucky with, in that regard. But, you know, Gazdag uh, puts them away. We saw Torres get a debut and had a, a beautiful assist for a Carranza goal. Um, and I think that should give you a, a lot of hope for this season, you know, because we still saw those moments, those passages of play where the Union looked very, very good. Um, you know, they, they have a, a decent test this week against Inter-Miami, who are just the, the Jekyll and Hyde uh, of the MLS, uh, just go through these these really interesting patches of form and, and then uh, terribleness. So I, I am looking forward to that. But, yeah, it's a, it's a great way to, to start. And I think, you know, there was definitely some questions, I, I think, about this team. And, you know, I think some of the, uh, you know, just how this team would, would kind of shape up mentally coming into the season. I think Jim Curtin coming you know, during his, his press conference and, and talking about the, you know, there was a, an anonymous executives uh, survey put out by The Athletic. And, you know, one of the executives picked the union to win MLS, but uh, said, you know, I'm picking that, but they're not even that good. You know, they just kicked the shit out of you. Um, and, uh, you know, Curtin had some, some nice things to say about that. Um, you know, so I said that you didn't have that kind of reputation around the league. I would disagree with, by the way, because they scored a, a massive amount of goals last season. This is a, this isn't just a a low block team that that loves to just and they do you know put in a good challenge every now and again. But um, I do think uh, they have a little bit more finesse than uh, than they're given credit for. So um, I was really impressed with, with the Union again. I you know they look like a team that brought back a lot of starters too. You know I, I think that was that was the nice thing. Um, the crew definitely had the better first half, but. I think as the game wore along, so the unit sort of grow into it. And you know, I, I didn't see anything in this that has me concerned. It's one game, so you know, it's tough to say, but you know, it, it feels uh, a lot of the same beats that we saw from last year. Yeah, so like you mentioned, Inter-Miami on Saturday, and then Tuesday they've got a round of 16 leg one for the CONCACAF Champions League uh, against Alianza. So do, do the typical roster players play in the CONCACAF? Yeah, so uh, it's it's like uh, just I'm trying to think of I guess the, the the closest thing is like in in like college basketball where you have those kind of like invitationals, you know, that's like a, the closest thing. It's just like a it's a tournament outside of the league that is important, you know, like winning, you know, and advancing in the Concacaf Champions League would be uh, a big thing for the Union and is definitely a target for them. That is going to be the challenge of this season is you know keeping everyone rotated and healthy. You know, this team did definitely get a nice boost. Um, with, with, with health last season, they really didn't struggle all that much with, with a lot of starters. Um, you know, so that, that would be really nice to have that kind of fortune again. It's unlikely that you do. Striker is a potential concern, you know, with depth, you know, because a two-man striker system is not very common anymore. You know, that there's a, it used to be a much more, uh, you know, frequent thing in the sport. 
but you know, tactically it's kind of moved out of vogue for the most part. So most teams already don't carry, you know, three, four capable strikers. Um, you know, so it, it's definitely going to be interesting to, to see how they, they manage those minutes and keep those guys rotated. I think they've tried to address that a little bit with signing someone like Torres, right? And, you know, guys that can be a little more free-floating. Yeah, but this team isn't really, like, the tactical flexibility is going to be interesting to see with this team each year because I think they're going to have to rely on some different some different things. I think they're always going to have their bread and butter as long as everyone's healthy and they keep these guys on the roster. That 4-4-2, which we've seen them just line up with so much, and that's been the most devastating way to play. I think plays to a lot of their strengths. So I, I am curious to see, you know, how, how the season progresses with that in mind. And, you know, I'd like to see them, you know, make a, a run in, in the, the U.S. Open Cup too, right? Like that's that's something I think this team, you know, they've really pushed the chips in similar, you know, to the Eagles, right? Where, you know, they brought a lot of guys back. You know, I think they've really had to fend off uh, for, for quite a few of these signatures. They still might have to again in the summer. Um, and I, I think, you know, this team has it in mind that they can win some silverware this season. Yeah, so we'll uh... – We'll see what happens this weekend with the Union um, as they continue to push on and try to go reverse uh, hashtag the run of, of the Philadelphia Phillies from 07 to 11. Um, but a team that is kind of down on their laurels and uh, no real hope outside of maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi, and that's the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, <laughs> it's brought to you by our awesome energy drink sponsor and partner, Dubby Energy. Uh, guys, Dubby has set out to uh, go to war on big energy and clean up the energy drink game. Uh, they have zero calories, zero sugars, zero maltodextrin fillers in their formula, as well as no artificial colors or dyes. And they've got that patented neurofactor in their uh recipe to uh help improve brain cognitiveness and awareness by 143 percent uh i'm currently sipping on the beach and peach flavor uh which is white peach and mango and they're they're simply the best in the game their customer service is is top notch they currently have pretty much everything on pre-order right now um that they are, are working on restocking everything. But if you place an order for a pre-order, you'll be first in line to receive your product when it is back in stock. Uh, so go to w.gg and use code underground for 10% off any and all orders uh, and go to war on big energy. That's code underground for 10% off when you shop at w.gg. Matt, the Sixers are, are not in a good place right now. Uh, the rumors about James Harden leaving continue to swirl around, going back to Houston. Uh, you have Joel Embiid saying, you know, the, the ending of that Celtics game was just the story of his life. And um, I just don't know when the, the like, being the okay with... stops? Be <laughs> Never. Like the being okay with just the complacency that this this organization has is mind-boggling, and it starts from the top down. I brought it up on on the most recent episode that I recorded uh, on Monday when I got back from Virginia from the PLL Championship Series. Like every other team in this city that you look at, whether it's the Eagles, the Phillies, uh, the the Union, even the Philadelphia Wings, they have from the top down from ownership to the front office, to the head coach, to the coaching staff, to the players. They have guys in place and 
front office people in place and ownership in place that want to win and and have that desire to do whatever it takes to win. The Sixers just simply don't have that from the ownership group. The front office, it seems like, is just like fallen on deaf ears. And we all know how we feel about Doc Rivers. You have players on the court who want to win, and it's not all the players per se, but you you can you know the the desire and the want that Joel Embiid has, the desire and the want that Tyrese Maxey has. Even even to an extent Tobias Harris wants to win in this city. Like But there there it's just the disconnect between the higher ups to down on the court with the Sixers is just mind boggling bad. I don't know what it is about this team. <laughs> I just I don't know why every year has to have some like plague attached to it. Um I don't get it. I you know I, I think Harden has been good here. I don't understand the appeal of going back to Houston like at all. I don't understand why it's appealing for Houston either. I, I no. just don't think he matches with the timeline. They're already like a, a guard heavy team. I'm, I'm I just if you look at like the top of this draft too outside of like when Wemby like you are looking at potentially like adding another guard or another wing, which is going to be complicated with Jabari Smith. Like, I just I don't know how adding James Harden to this mix makes a lot of sense for them. Um, some of the buzz around this, and this has been going on all season long too. This is not new, but it's just started to get uh, kind of getting re-picked up, and some more like notable guys are picking it up and talking about it. Uh, but but part of it too is apparently he liked the lifestyle and liked that you know he was kind of able to to fly wherever and the, you know, the onus wasn't on him as much to, you know, be at every workout and, and, you know, he could take these private planes and, and all these extra trips and stuff. I don't know. I, I, I don't get it. I, I, he has honestly not had a, in, in my mind, really any issues with like professionals and anything like that. Like, honestly, like he's been a, a, a great player here. I, I wish he would stay. I think this is in a lot of trouble if he leaves. Um, I just I do not see how this makes sense. So that's why it's going to happen. You know, I, I didn't understand mm-hmm. why we're letting Jimmy Butler walk. Didn't understand what he was seeing in Miami, any of that. Like, and you know, it, it, it blew up in our face. So, I uh, I would be really really frustrated if we do lose James Harden. And I just again I don't understand the appeal. Houston sucks. Like, <laughs> you know, like and I just I I don't see it. And you know, these last two games too have been really heartbreaking in so many ways. That Celtics game was just like. Just like being ripped, and I mean, we're getting swept by them if we play them in the playoffs. Oh, like yeah. that's that is, I think, what is was really challenging about all this is you know you have these good pieces and and you have a great player in Embiid, but it doesn't feel like you have a great team. It doesn't feel like a team that's actually. I I, I think the Sixers are just in a different tier than the mm-hmm. Celtics and Bucks. I, I think those two are just ahead of them, and I think the Celtics are kind of in their own tier in the East. Bucks are are in a, a tier of their own, just below the Celtics, and I, I don't know. You put like. The Sixers, Cavs, Heat, and like a team. Like I just, I don't, I don't think we're at that level. You know, like we could potentially, like who knows? But I really don't think we beat the Celtics in a seven-game series. I could see us maybe getting past the Bucks, but um, you know, and it feels like obviously you're gonna have to play Boston. We could be playing Boston in the second round, and <laughs> you have another just nightmare matchup. I just, it's very, very frustrating uh, to, to watch again. And you know, you have Doc Rivers and. It's, it's hard to believe in him as a coach. It's hard to believe in this organization because of the guys you let walk out of the door at the last few years. Um, you know, you see Isaiah Joe like doing well, and, and that's been, I think, a thorn on our side all year. But just in general, I think this team Charles has had Bassey. kind of... 
yeah, I mean, you've just had kind of a, a, a brain like dump, you know, a lot of times, like, like you just, you just had a lot of guys walk out the door that, that could probably be useful to you now. And that's not just in the last year. That's, that's over the course of the last four or five years. It feels like uh, some of the decision-making has been really strange. So it feels like very similar to when we compared the Phillies to being like the angels East when they brought in Clentac, brought in McPhail, and it was just like, what the fuck are we doing? The more and more you look at it, it's like the Sixers have become like Clippers East. Because what have the Clippers done to really justify any of the moves that they've made? They go out and get the big superstar names, and they just continue to fall flat. Um, and this is like the year for the Clippers to like prove that they can get over the hump, and who knows if they do, but it, it just feels like the, the front office has failed Joel Embiid and the rest of this team. Doc Rivers has failed this team. The ownership group has failed this team. And it's not just this year. It just continues and continues and continues. And who knows when it changes? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> but uh, everybody put your seatbelts on and get ready for a second-round exit because that's where it seems this team is heading once again. No, it's it's going to be the first-round exit. We're going to – we're going to somehow drive to the seventh or something and get swept by the Bucks. I don't know. You know, like, I, I just. Maybe I then Doc year. will lose his job. I have felt it like the true malaise of this team all season. It's been very hard for me to, like, you know, I've been watching, but it's been very hard for me to, like, really love this team in any way. Like, outside of Embiid, I just, I. Even Maxi, you know, has, like, been relegated to this bench role and it's just not looked, um, especially in the last, like, two months, has not looked his usual self. Um, you know, and and that's been off of the, the PJ Tucker deal, which was contentious at the time. And you you get him with the hopes that he's like a, a team, a player that kind of puts you into that championship contending caliber. I'm not sure that he has. And again, James Harden wants to leave a team that is hoping to win a championship for a team that is in the basement of the, of the NBA right now. I just <laughs> that has been the Sixers experience uh, for, for the last few years. Really summed up, you know. For Embiid, summing it up against the Boston game, sure. Uh, for as a Sixers fan, I think that is uh, that is, that is more accurate to you know James Harden wanting to leave us for the, the the doldrums of the NBA. It sucks, uh, but what doesn't suck is that Survivor is back. It's our buffs and snuffs Survivor season forty four preview. As episode one airs in just a few minutes, it's brought to you by our friends over at Tomahawk Shades. Uh, the best small batch eyewear in the game. Guys, go get your sunglasses, your blue light glasses, everything in between that they've got at TomahawkShades.com. They've got prescription lenses available. Oh, and a former Survivor all-star fan favorite, Tyson Apostle. He's a Tomahawk Shades ambassador just like us. Uh, so go to TomahawkShades.com. Use promo code USP at checkout for 25% off your order at tomahawkshades.com that's code usp for 25 percent off at tomahawkshades.com man we always pick our our eventual hope for a winner over the last three seasons we've fallen just shy but we've at least gotten to the jury uh this season quite another you know great looking cast across the board for who could be a potential winner um who is standing out to you for potential pod winner so you know i, I hit the books real hard today uh and you know because we obviously play uh fantasy survivor so yeah i really had to, to understand who i'm looking at there are two names that i, I would like to nominate it as contention uh for 
uh, winner of Survivor. This one is, is just going by my, my method, uh, our tried and true. Uh, just pick someone who is a firefighter slash from the Northeast of, uh, of the United States. Danny Massa, Massa. Uh, he's a, a firefighter. I just got it. You know, that's just, yep. that is, that has worked historically well. I think if you're a firefighter, your chances of making uh, like the final four are, I, I, no joke. I think like 60%. Like I, yeah. I, I really think that like when you're a firefighter, there's just something about it. Um, there's also another person that uh, I got a good uh, vibe from. That's Helen Lee. Um, that's, you know, I, Again, you're going off of a picture and a very brief, uh, like, caption about this person. Uh, she said she wants to play, like, uh, Erica, the one in season 41, um, sort of an under-the-radar threat. Uh, and, you know, I also love in her picture, she has this very interesting tank top situation where it's, like, a uh, spaghetti strap on one side, like, full more shoulder strap on the other. I love that. You know, I, I love that she's, uh, I don't know. It's, she's thinking outside the box when it comes to uh, her tops that she's bringing to Survivor. So those are the two names that I, I, I would like to nominate as, as potential winners. Danny's, of course, I think going to be our, our, our pick because of the firefighter angle. But you know what? I, I'm going – I the last few seasons, it's been someone that I did not expect to win has won. So I got, yes. I got to just like I – got, I got to mix it up somehow. I also have Danny uh, on my list. And then my I went the same route as you when I was doing my homework today. Um, my, my kind of like wild card, you know, not expected to win. I don't know why, but Claire Rafson spoke to me. See, you know, cause I, and we got to talk to someone at CBS and I get in the damn, uh, uh, portal back up because I'm having to scroll to, to find no free, to find no free ads, but entertainment weekly, uh, has a, a great portal system right now. Okay. Claire, I'm going to be honest. I, I, again, this is all just based off the picture. I, I think Claire was one of my last picks on fantasy. Um, just something, something about being a tech investor slash venture capitalist. I was like, that could really go either way for me. You know, those people can be very uh, engaging, but they could also be very uh, self-involved. And I think that could rub people the wrong way. I, you know, who knows? It is, it is so hard to predict as we have I learned. I liked her uh, her previous player identification, who she identifies with. It's a combination. She said, I, I identify most with Michelle. Uh, I love her social game and how she used people's perceptions of her against them. Uh, I think I'll play most like Natalie Anderson in Blood vs. Water. She doesn't take bullshit from anyone uh, and knew how to make a move when she had to. You know, and, and fair. I, again... I'm just not sure. She is from New York, so she fits the the northeast, uh, you know, section of of our <laughs> of our rubric <laughs> on being a survivor winner. Um, so that's good. But yeah, I I, I, have a I like that we have our wild card pick, and we both have that consensus about Danny. I mean, come on. It's just again, if you're a firefighter and you're going on the show, I have to pick you. I just I I do. And you know, he's, he's from New York. Come on, what am I supposed to do? The math, maths. Um, so first time we'll have wild card picks, uh, for the pod, but our, our overall pick to win this season, which is also going with, I was talking to Sarah earlier when she, when she came over and I said, uh, since survivor has come back, it's been female winner, female winner, 
and then last season with Gabler, male winner, something tells me it might continue like that trend a little bit for the first four where it just goes 2-2. Uh, so I was leaning more towards uh, a male winner uh, for this season. It's possible. I, you know, I just think – I think the, the, the last few seasons have shown us, again, that uh, – even within the season, when you see the people play and start to get a good idea, it can be very hard to, to read the situation. Um, and it just feels like, you know, we're not always privy to all the conversations, all the stuff out there. Um, Especially so, now where they, they cut it up even more and then you see it next week. I'm trying my hardest for this season to constant, like just not rule anyone out. There have been so many times where I felt like there's no, there's just no way this person wins. And then they win. And then I'm like, well, I, you know, that's my own fault. I got, Feels like I the last keep, three years, the last three seasons, got, it's been I that I got to keep the most open mind possible. <laughs> that is my goal this year. Uh, so we're going to go catch Survivor Season 44. Make sure you guys follow at Buffs and Snuffs on Twitter. We'll be uh, keeping up to date much more frequently this season with Survivor over there. Uh, and make sure you follow us on the socials at Underground PHI, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook.com slash underground sports phi follow matt on twitter at matt castarina follow me at kbizzl311 subscribe to the podcast feed on apple podcast spotify or wherever you get your podcast leave a five-star rating and review it does help the show continue to grow on your five-star apple podcast reviews let us know who you think's going to win survivor season 44 we will read them on the show if you leave them and of course subscribe to the underground sports philadelphia youtube channel that's where you get full video episodes of every single podcast on our network. You get shorts, live streams, original content. It's all there. Leave a comment down below who you think is going to win Survivor Season 44 as well. Big thank you to our sponsors who make this show happen. Main Auto LLC, Security 21 Security Systems, Paul J. Gillespie Incorporated, the Dental Wellness Center of Vineland, and our amazing merch partners, PHI Apparel Company, Go to phiapparel.co, use code UNDERGROUND for 10% off any and all orders. And this has been episode number 512 of Underground Sports Philadelphia. For Matt, I'm KB. Till next time, we are signing off. Peace. Oh,